0: I wonder if you've ever had a conversation with someone where you felt totally out of your depth. The person you're talking to has got an intellect far beyond you. They're using words and concepts that's way beyond your understanding. And and you're desperately fighting to find some way to engage in this conversation without feeling you know, a complete idiot. Uh, If you haven't been there, I can assure you I've been there. Um, And if that's true in a human situation... How true would it therefore seem to be when we come to engage not with a a human intellect uh, but the God of all creation, uh, the greatest mind in the universe, because he is the universe, uh, who who invented language, who understands concepts. How hard would it be to have that kind of conversation? And yet, isn't it interesting that when Jesus instructs his followers how to engage in conversation with that great God, uh, he, he couldn't make it more simple. It involves no complicated words, no complicated jargon, no complicated sort of things to do. It was just very simple. Uh, when Jesus tells us how to pray, it involves nothing like that. In fact, if I was to put it in just one word, it would be that one. Alright? It's as simple as that. So I want to say, if you're one of those here who uh, finds prayer kind of hard and complicated and slightly out of focus, like the left-hand screen, I hope by the time we're through, uh, we could get some clarity in this whole thing. You see, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he gave them some of the simplest words in his language, which were translated into ours. Simple words. Almost all one syllable, and just a couple with two, and nothing more complicated than when it gets translated into English. Nothing could be simpler, could it, than give us this day our daily bread. What's, what's not to get there? So what do we learn from them? And what does it mean to our life? Because clearly it means a lot. The disciples thought it was worthwhile saying to Jesus... You taught John's disciples. John taught his disciples how to pray. Please teach us how to engage with our Heavenly Father. I guess in the same way they had seen him engaging and seen the impact that prayer had had on his life because the world around Jesus changed as he prayed. So I'm going to simply work us through one by one these very simple words. If there's any word you don't understand here, I'm amazed because it's as simple as this. The first thing that that Jesus says is give. Jesus says we are to ask God to give us. And in this way, he points us to a Father who provides. And that runs contrary to anything that's certainly in our experience day by day, or certainly in mine. Much more closer to the experience of those in his day, but society and culture has moved on. Today, we pride ourselves, don't we, on being self-sufficient. You know, I'll do the study, I'll do the work, I'll pass the exams, I'll get the job, I'll earn the money, I'll get the house, I'll get the woman or the man, and I'll put food on the table, and I will do it. We deliver. We figure we're going to do that. We're in control. And yet here is Jesus wanting us to see life from a totally different perspective. That Jesus wants to see that God is the one who gives. He's the one who's the provider. And mostly we don't see it like that. I mean, there was a time when people understood that God provided the food that they were going to eat. No more, you know. I don't see food, seeds planted or ground tilled or watered or harvested or manufactured or brought to the factory. Uh, frankly, when uh, home delivery comes through Sainsbury's, I feel that food's delivered by magic. That's, I, I get no part of the process whatsoever. So it comes, it comes to that thought. I, I, I find myself with very little thought about God's daily provision for my life. There was a time in our world where Harvest Festival was a big deal in the churches. It was the center of communities that had been sort of farmer gatherers during the year. Uh, harvest was safely gathered in. The whole community would gather at the center of the church and that carried on down through the years until it's almost gone, where people came with glorious gratitude for a God who gives. Now, it's, 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 it's almost disappeared from our attention, and it certainly disappeared from the attention of the world around us. There was a time when grace was just said before meals when Christian gathered. I mean, it happens now, just in case you might get poisoned. It's a kind of sort of safety relief, I think. But I wonder how much gratitude is involved with it. Uh, certainly in families it used to be very legalistic you know that kind of if you didn't do it God would smite you because he was in the smiting business but but more than that there were those who just generally were grateful our family had a a routine we would just wait till the first person put a mouthful of food in their mouth and they would say, would you like to say grace? That was kind of a very effective way to, to remind. But I remember being in Africa and giving a tube of sweets round to a bunch of uh, lovely kids in Uganda and every one of them bowed their head and gave, said grace for a, you know, a fruit drop. And in a sense that to me that was overkill and yet here they were with an understanding that God was their provider. And as we come to, uh, to pray... My mind often goes to the Jewish Passover meal. Have you ever done a a Jewish Passover meal? The first time I did one, and I've only done one, so it was the first time, I, I, I stood back because I realized how much of the content was about thanking God for his provision, relating to a God who gives. And in our world, Jesus wants to remind us with the word give, that we come to a Father who gives. He is the source ...of all our provision. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Do you notice that uh, it's not give me my daily bread? The disciples say, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, well, uh, yes, pray like this. Give me today my daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread... And I want to take a moment for this to sink in because, because I think this is deep, profound, and important, and something we may have never reflected on before. You see, we're not told to pray, Father, give me, but Father, give us. And to be honest, we don't. Uh, the words that come from my mouth are, Father, give us our daily bread, and my mind is saying, me. Forgive us our sins, and my focus is on me. You know, lead us not in temptation, lead me not in temptation. So the words are said, but often it's not in our in our mouth. We just haven't got it. It's in our in our world today, we've kind of lost what's going on. We in the sophisticated West, with our self-centeredness, have lost the fact that God so often talks about us in the plural. And we hear it in the single, singular. The Christian life has become as though it's essentially about me, 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 I'll do it. But a home group might be useful now and again. When in fact it's quite different. Let me, let me, let me show you something. And for the sake of those millions listening on the HDC website, this is a, a guy doing amazing skills with the football. Are we impressed with that? I mean, think of the hours of private solitary dedication that went into that. But can I tell you something? That is not football, all right? That is not football. And in the same way as all those skills are essential to the big picture, they are not the big picture. However important our individual praying and service and Bible study and everything else may be, it is only a small part of the whole. Uh, football, much like the Christian life, is a team effort. Each with us with a part to play, with our strengths and our weaknesses. We know who the defenders, the attackers, the sweepers, the midfielders. We know which of those who are going to take something for the team, those who are going to have our back. It's, it, it's a team effort. The first time that television cameras were ever allowed into a premiership dressing room before the game, I took great interest on. It was a few years ago, it was, I took special interest because it was a London club and they play in blue. So I was really intrigued by to see what was going on. Do you know what happened? When it was all over, they didn't join hands and pray. I, I, I just knew that wasn't going to happen. Do you know what happened? They did not leave that room until every single one of them had shaken hands with every single one of them because they were saying whatever my individual skills are we are in this together and we have to get hold of that we have to show that our and not my relates to our daily bread if we're going to understand that let me stray for a moment let me put it in a big picture you see the the whole of the lord's prayer is about our as well as me yes it is about me but it's in the context of our jesus says go into your closet and pray privately but in that context It's an hour. So what what does it mean when we talk about forgive us our sins? Yes, my sins need to be forgiven. But you know, some sin is corporate. Some some sin in our world is not just individuals. It can be a whole cluster of individuals doing really bad things. Think of the greed culture of the banks. Corporate sin, which demanded corporate confession and forgiveness. The cover-up culture of some uh, NGOs, relief and development agencies, over the issue of, uh, of sexual activity of their people. The exploitation of multinationals, tearing down forests for gain or polluting our rivers and our waters. And our church, the people of God, is no different. We have our individual sins, but do you know what we have our sin as well? We can have our collective pride, we can have our collective indifference. That's our sin a home group can become so self-obsessed that's a sin uh, I, uh, I was leading a service in a, another church a while ago a previous church and uh, I, I was leading the confession and, and with this in mind I, I, I got people to turn into groups to, to pray in confession so we confessed our sins in a sense to one another but owned it it was an interesting experience because at that time, the, the Times newspaper used to send a reporter to do a kind of checker trade on churches, all right? And they'd write it up, and she came. And, and I thought, well, this should be very impressive. She should get this. And out of 10, we got seven for architecture, all right? And three for spirituality. So that unders- shows how little the Times understand. But we need to grab it, there is, th- there is a corporate thing in that. What about not being led into temptation? Yes, I don't want to be led into temptation. But what are the temptations that collectively we can face? To settle as a church? Would that be a temptation? Would that be a sin? Uh, To focus on nice people only? Or to be comfortable? You see, and that's equally true when it comes to praying for our daily bread. See, when, when Jesus says... We are paying for our daily bread. He is, in effect, calling us to be family. See, it's not just our needs we're praying for. We say the words, "Give us our daily bread." We think about my daily bread, but if we to grasp it really, it's because we're part of a family. It's not just our needs. You see, there are about 2.2 billion Christians in the world. A large chunk of those will be praying, "Give us our daily bread." in their own language and about half of them are profoundly poor with many who will go to bed hungry tonight alright so this is a prayer that Jesus points us to which is essentially about a prayer of compassion please give us our daily bread please give us our daily bread you know what makes it think of makes me think of a visit I made to Nepal uh, some years ago by the privilege of preaching in a, a little very poor Nepalese church uh, smaller than this, and poorer than this, but this is the best I could find. Uh, they were poor, a very poor community. Uh, they were poor because they got me to preach them on Sunday. But this, the thing that surprised me, and I couldn 't get understand, as they came in, so many of them, particularly the women, would come with a little bag of rice and place it alongside the communion table. And before they were through, there, there was a, a pile of rice. And afterwards I said, what's that about? And it was explained to me that in in Nepal and great chunks of India, poor people will give up a meal a week at least and bring what they would have cooked and bring it to the church so that the prayer that they pray can be answered. Give us today our daily bread. And we need to understand as we pray for our daily bread, this is in the context of a world population and a world church many of whom are without Uh, this was something that the church in Corinth certainly failed to understand that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16 uh, to them and to say as you come to break bread and drink wine or remember the Lord's body um, you need to examine the Lord's body as you eat and uh, it's particularly the Baptists who got this wrong, because they think the, the word Jesus, the, the words body there, the Lord's body, means Jesus, physical body. Think about Jesus as you come to break, to break bread and drink wine. In its context, what, it, what, what Paul really is saying is the body of Christ. In that community, there were those who had too much food and those who had not enough food. And those with too much food or enough food were eating while they were leaving the others to go hungry. That was the setting, Paul writes these words. As you come to break bread, as you come to have communion, as you come to do what we are going to do a little later on, you need to think about those without as well as those who have. And he said very seriously, and it's because you haven't, that's the reason some of you has died. That's pretty serious stuff. But Jesus also goes on to describe the kind of bread that we're going to get. He says, give us our daily bread. This, to me, is Jesus saying that we need to focus on what it means to trust. To trust. Focus on today, he's saying. Don't pray about the needs of tomorrow. Pray about today, what you need today. And, of course, that's right in line with what Jesus taught in other places, isn't it? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said... Seek first the kingdom of God. When you do that, everything else is going to come. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't fret about tomorrow. You can be responsible about tomorrow, but don't make it an issue of anxiety because it's going to look after itself. And he says, when you pray, just ask for your daily bread. You see, God is still going to be God tomorrow in the same way he is today. Today. Whatever needs God is meeting for you today, he will be there tomorrow and the morrow after that and the morrow after that to meet them. That's what he'll do. Fresh every morning bread is what's on offer. I don't know if you've ever been to a little posh gîte in France or in a little caravan like we did. And that wonderful moment, you get up in the morning and you look at the bread from, that, from yesterday and it's all stale and you take it in turns to go and get your fresh baguette and you could smell it a mile off as it came and you got your fresh bread every day. He calls us to trust him in that way. And then he says what we're to pray for is the basic substance of life, bread. That's what we're to pray for, bread. Now in that context, it means more than just, you know, what gets cooked it's it's essentially the basic things of life the bare necessities don't break into song but you hear where i'm coming from it's the bare necessities that's needed so it's symbolic so if you're you know if you're a celiac you can pray for this this is all right because it means all the other ordinary stuff as well not riches or extravagance we're just to pray for what we need again isn't that in great contrast so the, the words that are shouted through our ears day by day, hour by hour, which want us to be discontent. Here's Jesus wanting us to be content with what we have, the simple, ordinary enough. But everything we hear says very different. Billions of pounds spent on making you and me discontent, with our appearance our mode of transport, our mobile phone, our kitchen, our holiday, the contents of our wardrobe, or more. And those little subtle things, you are worth it. All right? And what will the people next door think? And in contrast, Jesus calls us to contentment. My prayer would be, uh, Heavenly Father, please give me a daily... Death by chocolate dessert. That's basically the the prayer that would ring through my mind. And Jesus wants us to have enough to pray for our needs and not our wants. If you catch me praying for a a Rolex Cosmograph Daytona, worthing 50 million, uh, that's not going to be on the list. Why? Because Jesus says, if you pray according to my will, you'll get what you want. And his will is to have our basic needs Met. But there's also a wider context here. You see, these words from Jesus are in the context of those who knew what Jesus about said about himself. What Jesus said about himself in uh, John 6 35 is, I am the bread of life. So those hearing Jesus talk about daily bread could have eas- easily thought that praying for your kingdom come would have meant that people got fed in God's kingdom, so something else was going on. Praying for our daily bread is also to meet our spiritual need, to feed our spiritual hunger through the one who is the living bread. In the way we hunger for daily food, we are to hunger for daily spiritual food, Jesus himself. So is your Jesus, the daily bread for life Jesus, or some other kind uh, is it a sunday lunch jesus you know sort of like once a week is it a christmas dinner jesus you know just for those special occasions that he turns up is yours a cherry on the cake jesus you know a little bit extra to help things go round is yours a chicken gizzards jesus that means nothing to you unless you've been to uganda where you where The most prized thing, part of the chicken is the gizzard and it's saved for the special guest. And if you're the special guest, that's not good news. But for them, it is. You know, it's Jesus just for special occasions. Or is yours just a, a shop window, Jesus? If you've been to some of the big streets in Germany, they've got 300 kinds of bread in the window, laid out to be admired. Please don't disturb the display and ask to eat it. It's just to be admired. Or is your Jesus an everyday that goes with everything and is good for you, Jesus. Jesus for life. I think sometimes we just fail to realise how precious Jesus is. One of the great memories I have as a, a young lad was kicking a dry loaf of bread around our street with two or three of my friends. Now, it's hard to imagine that because... Playing in the street is something that's not part of our today's world but here was this dried solid cube of bread that three of us kicked around and why should I remember this because it's a strange thing I was probably 12 or 13 which is like years ago and as we did so an elderly man came along and saw what we were doing and started to try and stop us doing it he started to cry and you can't do that and I realized that his accent was actually quite broken and he was probably Jewish and and he wept as as we mocked him and ran off with it and it was some time after I thought what was going on and I realised that almost certainly that man had been in a concentration camp where the most precious thing you could have was just a morsel of bread and here we were these street idiots kicking around something which was precious to him Let's stay with me for my life because it reminds me again and again how easy it is to treat Jesus as just, just there without really understanding how precious it is. But finally, there's one other little context we need to get our heads around. And it relates to the reading we had this evening. In John's Gospel, where Jesus speaks to himself as the bread of life, he reminds his hearers of the time that bread came from heaven. That was the passage we had read. God's people traveling through the, through, the, through the wilderness to the promised land and needing food for each day. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Uh, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day and no more. See, God's daily provision is just enough and that which could not be kept until the next day. That's their daily bread. And why did he do it? He said to Moses, because if if we do it that way, they will know that I am the Lord your God. God's daily provision for us is a reminder to us that he is the Lord our God. God provides and done so in a way which calls us to know that he is God today and that we can trust him for tomorrow. And there's something that I do each day which reminds me of this. Uh, It's it's when I shave. Um, This may seem weird to you. The most annoying thing to me is when I put too much shaving foam on my hand. Because when you do it, you've got... What are you going to do with it? You can't do it. It's a bit like the manna from heaven. It's no good to you. Now, I can look at some people that here, I can see one or two that... Are waiting to shave, one or two, you know, who clearly have never shaved and have no plans to do it. Some here who diligently do this every day, some might do it every week, some just before they're going on holiday because they want to make sure their legs are extra trim. Whatever it is, there's a point where many of us will find ourselves just having that little squirt on our hand. And I want to take a moment as I close to use this as a visual reminder that whenever we find ourselves in that situation, it's a fresh reminder that God is the God who will provide for us today and tomorrow. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to just squirt something on your hand, all right? It's as easy as that. Uh, My wife, Rosie, had a wonderful idea. She said, if you put shaving cream on them, she said, they've got to get rid of it. She said, but if you give them a bit of cream, which looks like it, uh, that'll be all right. So it's it's, it's just... It's just... Don't let me it. It's just that, all right? So if you'd just like to pass it down the line, get a bit of your hand, pass it through, all the way, all the way to the back. Richard, if you, could, if you could take that one there. You see, too much is no good, but this simple act, I hope, is kind of that reminder when you come to a little squirt, because we need reminders, don't we, to pull us back to a God who provides and gives. How are we doing? It's not down the throat, it's on the hand, all right? And those of you on low-carb diets, you've discovered the wonder of this, haven't you? You can squirt that down your throat forever. How are we doing? We're nearly done? When When you've been squirted, please stand. When you've been squirted, please stand. and just look at it take a moment those of you who are pretending rascal (laughs) and we're going to pray alright so Father God as we stand here and you're slightly amused at these people with cream in their hands but we pray that as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Please help us to see that you are the one who provides. To remember we are part of a worldwide family to whom we have responsibilities. Please help us to trust you each day and every day and to cultivate a spirit of, commi- of contentment And to so truly feed on your son, Jesus, the bread of life, our daily bread. Amen. Amen. And now you may taste and see that the Lord is good.